Welcome to Fire Away, Rudner Law's online show focused on the employment law issues that matter to you. My name is Stuart Rudner. I'm an employment lawyer and mediator, and your host of this season four, episode one of Fire Away. Fire Away streams online every month, and if you miss an episode or want to watch one again, they're always available on our YouTube channel, our Facebook page, LinkedIn, and on our website. If you are watching live and have a question, we'd love to answer it, answer it. So you can ask the question either by posting on Facebook or YouTube or by tweeting to at Rudner Law. So today I'm very excited to be joined by two members of the Rudner Law team. First, Brittany Taylor, who is a partner with Rudner Law. And second, Nadia Zaman, who is an associate with the firm. Together, the three of us are going to try to answer as many questions as possible about COVID-19 and the workplace and the issues that arises. And as the uh, title of the show indicated, this is part two. So if it feels like deja vu, it's because Brittany and Nadia joined me last month as well. Many people have commented that COVID days feel like Groundhog Day. Every day is just the same over and over again. So it seemed appropriate to have the same guests. But kidding aside, one of the challenges we ran into last month is that we could not get through anywhere near all of the questions we had about all of the impacts of COVID-19 and the workplace. So we're going to try to get to some of the ones we didn't get to last month. And of course, another month has passed, which means things have changed. We now have all new variants of the of the virus. We have some provinces opening up. We have some provinces locking down. We have some parts of our province locking down. We have an Ontario March break in April this year. So everything is changing as it always is. Uh, we're going to try to address as many questions as we can today. Um, but hopefully we'll never get through all of them, but hopefully we'll make this will make you aware of some of the issues and frankly aware of when you should be talking to an employment lawyer. So I usually say this at the end of the show, I'm going to say it now as well. If you think you might need an employment lawyer, you probably do. But hopefully our discussion today will help to give you a sense of, of when you should be calling a lawyer and making sure that you understand your rights. So Brittany and Nadia, thank you. Thank you for joining me for part two. Thanks, Thanks for having us. I like the way you guys are synchronized. That was very impressive. <laughs> so we're going to start with some questions relating to attendance at the work and at the workplace and accommodations. So first question that we want to get to, and I think between the three of us, we have probably answered this a thousand times over the last few months, but it never goes away. Um, so the question generally is, can my employees refuse to come to work? So I think Nadia, you were going to take a, the first shot at that? So the answer is generally no. Employees are expected to attend at work during their regular working hours, including when recalled from a formal or informal layoff. Now, there are some exceptions that apply, such as an inability to work, a need for accommodation, or a danger in the workplace. But if the employee is simply, um, you know, simply has a preference or generalized concern about going out in the public, the employer can insist that the employee come to work. While employers should be respectful of legitimate concerns, in the absence of a legitimate reason to be absent from work, employees are expected to carry out their duties. Now, obviously in recent times, we know that there's been the stay-at-home government order. So wherever the stay-at-home government order is applicable, employers should ensure that where employees can work from home, that they are allowed to do so and that employees are not unnecessarily asked to physically attend work. 
Yeah, great point about the uh, the stay-at-home order. And of course, you know, since the month has gone by, that order is expiring for most of Ontario over the next little while. So be mindful of which region you're in and which rules apply because they are constantly changing. Uh, one thing I'll add, because I, I found myself saying this over and over again over the last few months, work is not an option. And it didn't suddenly become an option when COVID hit. So the same way back in early 2020, you couldn't just decide you're not going to work next Friday or you're going to work from home next Friday. That hasn't changed. So the default still is you have to, first of all, you have to work during your regular work hours, as Nadia said, and you have to attend at the workplace if that's the norm. Obviously, there are some exceptions, et cetera, but unless you fall with one of, within one of those legitimate exceptions, then you have to return to work. And putting aside the stay-at-home orders for a moment, even if you can do your job just as efficiently from home, if your employer insists that they want you in the workplace, they, they have the right to do so. That's something to be mindful of. And we've seen a lot of people overestimating their rights, and that's one of the best examples, is people assuming that they have a choice. And we see employers, on the other hand, underestimating their rights and assuming they can't do anything about it, which uh, both of those are, are, I think, equally shocking in many respects. So we'll move on to the next question, which is that I need my hours adjusted so that I can look after my kid during the day. Is that allowed? And I think, Brittany, we're going to take a first shot at that one. Yeah, absolutely. So, I mean, we know that family status is a protected ground under the Ontario Human Rights Code and family status is, you know, being in a parent-child relationship. So whether that's a parent and a child, whether that's a child looking after the elderly parent, this uh, ground is going to apply. So because it's a protected ground under the code, we know that employers thus have a corresponding duty to accommodate any restrictions and limitations that arise as a result of an individual's membership in this ground. And that duty to accommodate goes up to the point of undue hardship. Okay, so if a parent is at home, they need to have their hours adjusted because of childcare obligations. That's certainly something that they can go to their employer for and request accommodation. Now, I think what's really important is something that you just highlighted, Stuart, which is, you know, the difference between a need versus a choice or a preference, right? So an employer or employee is not entitled to the accommodation of their choice. So just because, you know, you think you need a certain schedule doesn't mean that your employer has to give you the exact schedule that you're looking for, right? So there is some discretion for the employer to figure out ways to accommodate you, which may not include giving you exactly what it is that you're asking for, while still making sure to accommodate your needs. I mean, during COVID, I can say that I know we've all encouraged employers to be as flexible as possible. But again, that doesn't necessarily mean that an employer has to comply with an employee scheduling request, um, particularly if it's based on a preference, not based on an actual need. So that's certainly something for, for employees to keep in mind. Yeah, another great example of people sometimes overestimating and underestimating their needs um, or the rights, I should say. Um, and I guess the corollary to that is, you know, one form of accommodation can be a leave of absence. And pretty well every jurisdiction in Canada has adopted some form of leave that's COVID related. In Ontario, we now have the infectious disease emergency leave or idle. Uh, but that's simply a leave of absence. That's not adjusting your hours of work at all. Uh, and that's one way that an employer could accommodate you, um, in which case you don't have to provide any documentation because uh, the legislation relating to idle specifically precludes medical documentation. But you may not get what you want because instead of having your hours shifted slightly, you may lose your hours and, and your pay altogether. Yeah, and I think conversely to that point, I mean, if, if an employer 
can't accommodate an employee's hours, an employee should be aware that they have the right to ask to be put on idle, right? Like it is possible for an employee to say, I'm entitled to a leave of absence under the infectious disease emergency leave. It's not just something that an employer can impose. So so that's something that's always available for, for employees as well. Yeah, great point. And I, I know we have a question coming up about whether uh, you can essentially be forced onto uh, idle. So we'll come back to that as well. And I, I kind of foreshadowed the next question we were going to talk about, which is, do I need to get a medical note if I need accommodation? Yeah, so so the answer um, is it depends. Obviously, that's a very lawyerly answer. But one day we're going to actually have Rob put a counter on and we're going to count. (laughs) Right, exactly. And, you know, if you would have asked me this question pre-COVID, I would say, you know, generally, yes. And sort of go on to talking about accommodation and and the request for medical notes. But I think in light of the pandemic, we have to be mindful that a lot of things have changed. So generally, an employer does have the right to understand the functional limitations of an employee's job duties in order to be able to accommodate them. And what that essentially means is, how is the limitation impacting your ability to do your job? And that's the only thing that matters from the employer's perspective. And that's all they should really um, want to know about and all that they should be entitled to know about. So they can ask you to provide a medical note, but they can't ask you for your entire medical file or even what the diagnosis is. That would be irrelevant. That said, if you can't work due to COVID-19, you are not required to show a medical note as proof of entitlement for the infectious disease emergency leave or IDEL, as as Stuart said. Um, Now, having said that, the employer may require you to provide other evidence that is reasonable in the circumstances at a time that is reasonable in the circumstances. And I'm laughing because the language obviously is going to create a lot of uncertainty for employers and employees alike. But what that essentially means is that it could include um, requests such as a note from the daycare um, saying that, you know, they're going to be closed due to COVID or evidence uh, that let's say the airline had canceled a flight. So those types of evidence can be requested because they would be seen as reasonable in the circumstances. Obviously, it's going to depend on the context and the situation. But generally, in light of the pandemic, if let's say you're you're currently going to be asked to work in person physically from the office and your child is going to daycare, but all of a sudden the daycare had to close, you're probably going to need some sort of accommodation from your employer. And at that point, the employer can reasonably ask you to provide such evidence. Yeah, and it gets, uh, thanks, Nadia. It gets very complicated. And and even before COVID, there was so much debate about whether or when you could ask for doctor's notes. And uh, that should be a good topic for a a show if we get get people on opposite side of the debates to... uh, talk about that because it's uh, it can be very challenging as an employer when you have an employee saying, I need to be accommodated, but then they refuse to provide any documentation. And a lot of employers are terrified of asking because they feel as though doing so will be a breach of the employee's privacy rights. So it's important to understand what your rights are, um, but of course, it's not always easy to understand that. And I know we're gonna come back to the whole privacy versus safety issue later because it often, it does depend. It depends very much on the circumstances. Um, anyways, moving on to the next question that we have, does my employer have to accommodate me if I test positive or if I become sick because of COVID-19? 
Yeah, so as, as Brittany explained previously, employers have a duty to accommodate employees under the code, and that has to be based on legitimate needs relating to any one or more of the protected grounds. For example, disability, sex, family status. Um, the, the exception is that, you know, unless it would amount to undue hardship based on cost or health and safety, for example. Now, one of the protected grounds under the code is uh, is disability. And the Ontario Human Rights Commission's policy position is that the code ground of disability is engaged in relation to COVID-19 as it covers medical conditions or perceived medical conditions that carry significant social stigma. So what, what that essentially means is COVID-19 um, is going to be covered under um, the ground of disability. And employers should be mindful of individual factors that can make an employee particularly vulnerable. So for example, if they're immunocompromised. Now, accommodation doesn't mean that the employer has to agree with the employee's preference, like Brittany said. Rather, the obligation is to provide reasonable accommodation, which can take many forms. And as Stuart said, it can also uh, be an unpaid leave of absence. In light of the pandemic, the, uh, Ontario did introduce an unpaid job protected leave for employees, um, as we discussed. And what that applies to essentially is if an employee is under medical investigation, supervision or treatment, or in isolation or quarantine, or if they need to be away from work to care for children because of school or daycare closures, or to care for other relatives, or if they're affected by travel restrictions, for example, due to COVID-19, then they would receive protection under this unpaid job protected leave of absence. And these measures are retroactive to Jan 25th, 2020. Great, thanks, Nadia. And that raises another point too, which is because you know it's, it's been made clear that COVID-19 is considered to be a disability under human rights legislation, you can't discriminate against someone either. So we've had this discussion with some employers before who may have laid people off and now they want to recall them. And, and one of the things we've often said is, generally speaking, you can recall whoever you want. Uh, you don't have to go in order of seniority or first in, first out, or first out, first in, whatever the case may be. You can pick and choose uh, as long as it's not based upon a protected ground under human rights legislation like sex or religion, etc., or disability. And so I've had some employers say, well, you know, so-and-so was off because he tested positive, so we're going to bring somebody else back. Um, and you can't do that. Obviously, if they're still positive, you're not going to bring them back. Um, but if they've, you know, if they've already done whatever they had to do in terms of isolation, then you can't discriminate on that basis. So it bring, brings up some other other interesting points as well, because even though it might seem logical to not bring someone back that had COVID, you may be treading on thin ice on, on the human rights side there. So I think another question that we're getting quite a lot of lately is relates to workplace outbreaks. Um, we know a lot of every different city, every public health authority seems to have their own rules, which makes it even more confusing. But the question, generally speaking, is what do you do if you have an outbreak in the workplace? Um, and you know, we've got a bunch of questions that are on similar points. How is an outbreak defined? What if two of our employees test positive? What do we do? There's a whole bunch wrapped into that. So I think, uh, Brittany, you were gonna you were gonna try to respond to that. 
Yeah, absolutely. And I think, you know, you've uh, raised a really good point, which is that the requirements are different depending on where you are, right? So last month, we talked about the fact that the, uh, you know, for example, the city of Toronto has institute a positive obligation to report whenever there's two or more employees uh, who have tested positive for COVID-19. So in, so in Toronto, two or more cases would be considered an outbreak that requires uh, reporting to public health authorities. Right. I think the other thing that's important for employers to note is that they may also have reporting obligations under the um, Workplace Safety and Insurance Act. Right. So whenever an employee is exposed to COVID-19 in the workplace, it could technically be considered an occupational illness and an occupational illness, just like an injury, needs to be reported to the WSIB if an employer is one of the types of employers that's covered by the WSIA. So that's another important thing for employers to keep in mind is that it may not just be reporting obligations to public health authorities. There may also be a reporting obligation in terms of alerting the WSIB that an occupational illness has occurred. Really good point. And, and one thing I'll sort of jump, uh, jump on and add to that is generally speaking, as you said, sort of two or more workplace cases would be an outbreak unless there's some other reasonable explanation or explanation for how the worker has contracted the virus. Uh, so I was, I was dealing with a situation a while ago where it was either three or four employees in a workplace all tested positive, but they were all related. I believe two of them lived together in one house, two of them lived together in another house, and they all carpooled to work together every day. So there was a very plausible explanation for how they contracted the virus that had nothing to do with the workplace. Then it gets more complicated if they're all now going to work and somebody else tests positive. Now you more likely have an outbreak that has to be reported. So I guess I'll, I'll say it again, it, it depends. Um, <laughs> but you need to look at not only numbers, but also the, the factual basis. So let's we'll see if, how many of these questions we can get through. We're doing pretty well so far. Um, Nadia, can my employer redeploy me to do other work not related to my current job because of the pandemic? Okay, so now whoever's viewing this is going to hate me because I'm going to say it depends again. <laughs> <laughs> so in light of the COVID-19 pandemic, orders may be made under Ontario's Emergency Management and Civil Protection Act, as well as related regulations permitting an employer to redeploy an employee to do other work. Now, at the same time, an employee may have a legitimate code-related reason why they cannot do the other work, or they may need accommodation to do the other work based on their disability, family status, and or age. Now, this is going to depend on the nature of the other work, related health and safety risks, as well as the person's individual circumstances and current advice from public health officials during the pandemic. Now, this is going to be key because as we all know, the, the regulations and advice, they're constantly changing. So employers need to be very mindful of what the current state of the law is and what the current state of the guidance is so that they can show that they're taking reasonable steps to protect workers. And now the, the important thing to keep in mind is that if an employee is unable to do the other work or their current job for code related reasons, the employer should explore possible accommodation options, including whether there is other produ productive work for the employee to perform. And this is this is very important, as, as Stuart also said, um, you know, a couple of times, 
employees often underestimate their rights and employers often overestimate what their obligations are going to be. And it's very important for um, employers and employees to both realize that they don't have to create a new job that is not needed within the workplace. So it has to be some sort of meaningful or productive work. But if that work isn't available, um, there could be other accommodation options such as um, an unpaid leave of absence. Yeah, I think that's a, a really, really good point and it gets back to a point we always make, which is, you know, you may not necessarily have to go along with the request for accommodation, but also if there is a need for accommodation, you have to go to the point of undue hardship, but that doesn't mean creating an entirely new job just to allow someone to come to work. So we would talk about that in non-COVID times, but it's certainly relevant now. So Brittany, I'm going to put you on the spot here because I'm going to go slightly out of order. Uh, Nadia was talking about all of the different guidelines and regulations and rules that are out there. So one of the questions we had was, uh, there are so many guidelines out there. How do I know what I'm required to do as a business owner? And, and I'll, I'll give one example that we dealt with a lot because our firm works with a lot of medical and dental practices and dentists in particular were banging their heads against the wall a few months ago because when it was, you know, when we were reopening, the College of Dentists released their own guidelines and then the College of Dental Hygienists released a different set of guidelines that were more onerous. And there was a dispute in almost every dental office as to which ones they had to follow. Um, so and I know we talked a bit about this last time, but I think it's uh, it's worth talking, delving into again as to what an employer has to do and what what these guidelines actually are as far as whether they're law or, or otherwise. Right. I mean, great question, Stuart. And I, and I do think this is one area where a lot of employers are just, like you said, they're looking around going, there's so many things out here. How do I understand what my obligations are? Um, and I think, you know, the good news is, is that since we did our show in January, the uh, Ontario Ministry of Labor has released new guidelines, new guidance in terms of how an employer can comply with their obligations that they have as a result of COVID-19, uh, ensuring obligations to or including obligations to ensure a safe workplace and in particular uh, developing a written safety plan, which is required for those businesses that are currently able to operate during the pandemic. So I'll give a little bit of background about this new guidance. As I said, it did come out in January um, and it includes a number of key resources that's available, um, including information regarding measures that should be implemented to, um, to control uh, potential exposure to COVID-19. And it also outlines six questions that businesses should be considering when they are developing their safety plan, their COVID-19 safety plan. So those questions are, how will you ensure all workers know how to keep themselves safe from exposure to COVID-19? How will you screen for COVID-19? How will you control the risk of transmission in your workplace? What will you do if there is a potential case of or suspected exposure to COVID-19? How will you manage any new risk caused by changes to the way you operate your business? And how will you make sure your plan is working? Now, the great thing about this guidance is that, yes, it provides you with these six questions, which is a great roadmap in terms of developing your safety plan. But the, the guidelines actually do go through some examples as well as to how you could answer these questions. So it gives employers a really good sense of, of what the government is looking for in terms of the development of your safety plan. 
So along with this updated guidance, we also we were also provided with additional information specifically relating to the construction sector. So if anyone viewing this is in the construction sector, uh, rejoice, we have more details. So check out that information. Um, we've, we also have a lot more information being provided to us about managing safety over meal and break periods. And you know this was one of those areas that the ministry identified early in January as part of their blitzes is this this was a problem area that was known and that they were trying to improve on was uh, people being very safe during the workday but then as soon as they're on lunch as soon as they're on break they kind of everything goes out the window and they're they're forgetting these obligations and, and how to protect themselves so in addition to providing just more information the government has also pr um, prepared a few new posters that can be put up in break rooms that explain how employees can help to keep themselves safe. Um, and the other thing that the ministry has done is they've also uh, provided some non-mandatory workplace screening tools. So we know that there is mandatory screening, and I talked about that last time and, and how that works, um, that is required for uh, employees and uh, key visitors to the workplace. Um, this is non-mandatory screening. So it's just tools that are available for employers to use if they want in terms of what questions to ask your customers or your non-essential guests who are coming into the workplace uh, in order to, to better ensure the safety of everybody in the workplace. So again, not mandatory, but helpful in terms of informing employers um, about what they can do to ensure health and safety in the workplace. So I'd highly recommend that everyone check out the new guidance from the Ontario Ministry. Uh, I will take the opportunity to uh, throw in a plug for our website because we have a very active COVID-19 resource page, which uh, we thought of as temporary. It's starting to seem more and more <laughs> permanent every month. Um, but we're trying to update as much as we can with changes in the laws, the regulations, the guidelines, and everything else people should know about when it comes to COVID-19 in the workplace. And I'm pretty sure that uh, most if not uh, most if not all of the things that Brittany mentioned are up on the resource page. So please do uh, check it out. If you go to RudnerLaw.ca, you'll see a, a handy pop-up that uh, you can click on to get there. Uh, but thanks for mentioning that. And Rob, thanks for putting that up in the background. Uh, so hopefully <laughs> visually people can, uh, can see what I'm talking about. So we sort of foreshadowed this question earlier, but we'll come back to it now. Um, can an employer impose either a temporary layoff or a leave of absence like the IDEL? Yeah, that's, that's a great question, Stuart. And contrary to popular belief, an employer cannot simply impose a temporary layoff unless there's wording in the employment contract providing them the right to do so. Now, there's different rules that apply in certain industries, like the construction industry, for example, um, where generally speaking, temporary layoffs are um, very common. Now, for the purpose of the Employment Standards Act, an employer can place an employee on an um, infectious disease emergency leave or IDEL without facing liability for constructive dismissal. However, if an employer does so, the employer can still be exposed to liability under the common law, which can be quite significant. And recently, the Ministry of Labor um, you know, issued a statement which states specifically that these rules affect only what constitutes a constructive dismissal under the Employment Standards Act, and they do not address what constitutes a constructive dismissal at common law. So while we don't have case law yet, 
really assessing um, this, this issue in particular, we do have guidance from the Ministry of Labor uh, specifically stating that they don't address constructive dismissal under the common law. Now, one of the questions that we've been getting a lot is in relation to these temporary layoffs and IDEL, um, as well as, you know, what happens once this ends? So right now, temporary layoffs are deemed to be IDEL until at least July 3rd, 2021, but they might be extended further. They, they have already be, been extended a couple of times. Previously, the date was set to expire on Jan 2nd, 2021. Now, once the IDEL ends, there are a few options that employers have. So the employer can recall the employees back to work. They may be able to place the employee on a temporary layoff or the employer can terminate the, um, the employment without cause. Now, obviously, with respect to the different options, there's a different obligations that are going to be triggered on the employer's part as well as well as rights that the employee is going to have with respect to these different options. Yeah, th thanks, Nadia, which that was really helpful because I think there's still a lot of confusion about that. Um, and I know we're almost at one o'clock, but let's try to get it through a couple more. We'll try to do them quickly. Uh, so talking about bringing people back, uh, we've had this question a lot as well. Can, you make, um, can an employer make you sign a new contract when they bring you back? I, I assume presumably the question relates to bring you back from layoff or leave. Uh, I'm not sure actually which one of you guys was going to. That was, that. yeah, that was me. All right. <laughs> so generally, generally, no. Um, an employer can never impose a new contract. But if the employer provides either consideration for the new contract or notice of the termination of the current contract, then a new contract can be implemented. So let me just explain briefly what these um, what these options mean. So consideration means that the employer must provide the employee with something of value in exchange for signing the agreement. For new employees, they're gaining employment in exchanging or signing the employment agreement. But for existing employees, putting a new written agreement in place becomes more complicated because they already have the job. So the employment itself cannot constitute valid consideration. Instead, the employer must provide some form of fresh consideration, such as a signing bonus, promotion, or salary increase. Now, if the employee declines the offer, then the current contract would continue to apply. Alternatively, the employer may provide the employee with notice that on a date in the future, the new contract of employment will be in effect. Now, this is effectively giving notice of the termination of the existing contract, and it's, it is certainly the more aggressive approach, but a lot of employers will use this option because they find it more applicable for their situation or more helpful. The amount of notice will be the same as if the employment relationship is being terminated without cause, which can be quite substantial depending on um, the particular facts of the, of the case. Now, uh, we've had a lot of employers asking us these, uh, these questions and we do not necessarily recommend implementing new contracts as workers are brought back in the current pandemic. And we would certainly warn employees to be cautious about signing a new contract. 
Yeah, absolutely. And along similar lines, the other question we often get is, I want to bring people back, but I can only bring them back part-time, reduced hours, etc. And employers have got to be really cautious about that too, because again, we're talking about constructive dismissal, and they may or may not have the right to do that. So whether you're talking about a formal new contract or just changing the terms of employment, you've got to proceed with caution. So I've been, I've been trying to scroll through a list of questions and, and pick out the ones we really should answer. And every single one I read, I think we really should answer that. Uh, so we'll try to get through a couple more um, and hopefully people can stay on for a few more minutes. Uh, so I'm going to skip after this one, but the next one I think is important. We're getting this more lately. It relates to off-duty conduct. So, uh, and we've had a bunch of variations of this question. You know, I see, I hear that one of my employees is not you know, following the guidelines at home. I've heard a bunch of employees got together off duty or that this particular employee is getting together with friends uh, in a spare, his or her spare time uh, or employees traveling. Uh, in any way, or I guess the question is, in, in any relation to off duty conduct, uh, what can you as an employer do in order to make sure that you're keeping your workplace safe? Yeah, certainly an, an excellent question and one that we are absolutely getting more and more of. And so we did talk about this a little bit last time. And and I think, you know, the general um, summary I would give you from that, that discussion is that an employer cannot discipline an employee for breaching public health guidelines on its face, right? That, you know, an employee not complying with what's being recommended by the government, we might think it's silly, but there's no wrongdoing on its face attached to that behavior. So as an employer, you always have to ask yourself, what is the wrongdoing that I'm seeking to rectify in this case? Um, and it can be a number of different things when we're talking about off-duty conduct. It can be something that directly impacts the health and safety of other employees or the worker themselves in the workplace. It can be um, a breach of an employer's policy that continues to apply outside of working hours or it can be reputational damage to the company, right? Like if your employee is, as we've seen, traveling the world uh, when you're recommending to everybody to stay home, that looks really bad on the company or it can look very bad on the company. So reputational damage is something that we would also consider. So in this case, I would say absolutely um, any action that could be putting the workplace at risk from a health and safety perspective, which is generally the first thing that we're concerned about when we're talking about COVID-19, um, you know, absolutely that is something that the employee may be able to be disciplined for um, because it directly impacts a, a health and safety issue. Now, we're, it's a different conversation if we're talking about an employee who's working from home, right? If they're breaching um, public health recommendation guidelines, but they're not coming into work, they're not exposing anybody else to this risk, then you have to ask yourself, is there something else going on here? Is there another wrongdoing that I could potentially tackle, you know, that reputational damage or a breach of a policy that I have? So one of the best things that employers can do to protect themselves right now is have policies in place uh, with respect to governing employee conduct. Um, and, and, you know, you don't want to be having policies in place that are trying to control what an employee is doing outside of work uh, to the extent of, you know, we require all employees to be staying at home and self-isolating and not seeing anybody. You know, that's a little bit too far in terms of the reach. But you can certainly have policies in place that require employees to, for example, disclose 
if they have been in contact or potentially been in contact with somebody who's um, been subject or, or had COVID-19 or, or a possible case of COVID-19 or a positive obligation to disclose if an employee is going to be traveling, right? So you can you can structure policies in a way that, that give you as the employer a little bit of teeth in terms of the action that you can take against an employee who's breaching those policies. Yeah, and I think I know we've talked about this on other episodes. I mean, courts are much, much more likely to enforce a policy when it's safety related and there's a logical connection. So as you said, if the person's working from home, then there may not be any impact on safety in the workplace. But if there are other concerns or if they're working in the workplace and risking bringing the virus in, it's much more likely a court will uh, will endorse sanctions or, or even dis- dismissal. Uh, so that was related to off-duty conduct. I'll flip it around uh, for you, Nadia. Uh, one of the questions we got was, can an employer require that I wear a mask because of COVID-19? So can they require, I'll, I'll make the question a bit broader, can, they, can an employer require the use of PPE in the workplace? Yeah, that's, that's a great question and one that we've been getting a lot as well. And again, it depends. Many municipalities in Ontario have passed bylaws requiring masks and the use of um, other protective equipment in enclosed public spaces. The Ontario Human Rights Commission's policy position is that any requirements related to health and safety and COVID-19, such as wearing a mask, using other protective equipment, or following a procedure to perform work safely, do not generally cause concern under the code. At the same time, employers should recognize that health and safety requirements such as masks may have a negative impact on individuals due to disability or another protected ground under the code. People with uh, certain disabilities may have difficulty wearing a mask. Uh, For people with hearing disabilities who rely on lip reading or facial expressions to communicate, masks can act as a barrier. So we we do um, um, want to make sure that employers understand the implications of mask wearing beyond just the the safety um, issues. Now, the Ministry of Health advises that masks should not be placed on or used by anyone who has trouble breathing or anyone who is unable to remove it without assistance. So the question is, what should employers do? Employers should clearly state the reasons why a mask or other equipment or procedure is needed in the circumstances. So obviously this is gonna depend on the nature of the role, the nature of the workplace, um, and what the safety issues or risks are. Employers need to be mindful of their duty under the code to accommodate uh, these types of individual needs related to legitimate COVID-19 requirements unless it would amount to undue hardship based on cost or health and safety, for example. Now, it it may be necessary to consider alternative ways a person with a disability might safely continue to work. So just because an employee is unable to wear a mask doesn't necessarily mean you dismiss their accommodation concerns out of hand. You should really consider what the options are and see if reasonable accommodation can be provided up to the point of undue hardship. People with disabilities might be expected to verify their code-related accommodation needs depending on the situation, and that could mean a use of a medical note. And um, lastly, employers should be careful to only request and share medical information in a way that intrudes as little as possible on a person's privacy 
and does not go beyond what is necessary to accommodate the person's needs. Thanks, Nadia. And, and I hate to say this, but I think we are going to have to wrap up the, uh, the Q&A session, even though we do have a few questions we didn't get to. Uh, if you do have questions that we didn't answer, first of all, please do check out the COVID-19 resource page on our website that I mentioned earlier, uh, or feel, feel free to email us at info at rudnerlaw.ca. Uh, but now we'll, we'll get to the point of the show where normally I would take my chance or my opportunity to fire away, but uh, I'm going to forgo that again this month. Uh, last month, we talked about our top tips for COVID-19 in the workplace. This time we're gonna do a bit of a, a rapid fire roundtable. Everyone's gonna offer their top predictions for employment law in 2021. Nadia, do you wanna go first? Sure, so uh, here's my top prediction uh, for 2021. Remote work will become a longer term or even permanent option for many. And while this may pose some challenges, many employers will embrace the savings and increase in productivity they will also realize their ability to access a wider talent pool. Remote work agreements and policies will become more common and many employees will expect flexible options from employers. Great, thanks Nadia. Brittany, what about you? Oh, that's hard. It's a hard act to follow. Great prediction. Uh, my prediction is that I think we're going to finally get some direction from the courts on whether an employer has the right to place an employee on infectious disease emergency leave. And I think the fallout from that is going to be significantly huge um, in the uh, very exciting in the employment law world, possibly not exciting from an employer perspective, depending on what the outcome is. But I'm, I think that, you know, with the statement that we've just got from the ministry that Nadia highlighted, I think it's only a matter of time before we have a, a court weigh in on this issue. And we've, we've already been waiting a while. So I think that's that's in store for 2021. Yeah, although I have to admit I'm not as optimistic as you because I think I think we probably will get a decision, but well, then we're going to have to wait for the appeal decision, which may not be till 2022 or, or later. True, true. <laughs> so for my prediction, I, I'm going to go with a safe bet um, because it's been years and years now that I've been commenting on the fact that you'd think that by whatever year we're in, 2010, 15, 20, you'd think that by now employment law would be relatively settled. And yet it's not. And I'm just going to predict that that will un undoubtedly remain true for 2021. So that's all the time we have for season four, episode one of Fire Away. First of all, thanks to everyone for tuning in. Thank you to Brittany and Nadia from the Rudner Law team for joining me for part two of our COVID-19 workplace issue Q&A. Uh, one thing I will say again is whether they are pandemic related or otherwise, we continue to see many businesses and many individuals making mistakes simply because they don't take the time to understand their rights and obligations. And the reason is simple. They don't treat their employment relationships as legal relationships. So please do. At Rudner Law, one of our goals is to help people make informed decisions. In order to keep you up to date, I invite you to, first of all, check out our social media, which is quite active. Subscribe to our newsletter. Check out the COVID-19 resource page, which I've mentioned a few times already during this show. But as I always say, none of that replaces specific legal advice that's tailored to your circumstances. So if you think you might need an employment lawyer, you probably do. Please feel free to reach out to us at any time. I want to comment really briefly on the show next month because we're going to do something a little bit different. We want to talk about an issue that comes up over and over again, including today and last month, which is the uh, tension between privacy rights and safety rights. Uh, it comes up in the context, for example, of employers mandating testing or mandating vaccinations uh, or anything else where 
the privacy rights of an employee are infringed in the name of safety. So we don't have any guests lined up. What we're hoping for is that two of our viewers might uh, take the opportunity. If you feel passionately about this on one side of the debate or the other, we'd love to hear from you and have you on the show. And hopefully we can have a really engaging, albeit respectful, uh, debate about some of these issues because at the end of the day, the answer is what we keep saying. It depends. But it'd be great to hear some, uh, some of the viewers' views on this really important issue, which is going to become even more important in the legislation and in the case law over the next couple of years. So feel free to reach out if you'd like to be part of the episode. You can email us at info at rudnerlaw.ca. Similarly, if you have any questions or comments, you can email us at info at rudnerlaw.ca or reach us on any of our social media channels. Lastly, as always, past episodes can be found on YouTube, on our website, and on Facebook or LinkedIn. If you like our page or subscribe to our channels, you'll get notifications of when episodes are live. And last but not least, thank you to Rob, to Rebecca, and to Mark for making us look as good as we can, as you always do. Again, Nadia and Brittany, thanks for joining me today. Take care, everyone, and stay safe.